Hello, listeners. Kate and I recorded this episode early afternoon on Friday, September 18th, just a few hours before the tragic death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Justice Ginsburg's death touches both myself and Kate in ways personal, professional, and political. You can bet that if we had recorded later, we'd have devoted the entire episode to her, her life, and her impact on employment law and the law in general. I expect that's exactly what we'll do for our next episode, and you know we're not shy. We'll also talk about the horrific ramifications around the timing of her death. But this weekend, and Monday as it will be for you, is simply a time to mourn. As many of you know, like Justice Ginsburg, I'm Jewish. It is no small thing that Justice Ginsburg died on Friday, just at the start of Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. Rosh Hashanah commences the most holy time in the Jewish calendars, and the ten days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. These ten days are known as the Days of Repentance. It is said that during those ten days God opens the Book of Life, and that it is through seeking atonement for your sins and bad deeds that you get inscribed in the Book for the next year. Someone who dies on Rosh Hashanah, however, before the book is opened, is considered, almost by, by default, to be a tzaddik, or in this case, a tzaddeket, which is the female form of tzaddik, or one who has unparalleled honesty, thoughtfulness, and who tirelessly pushes to improve the world in ways big and small. Justice Ginsburg was, regardless of the timing of her death, a tzaddeket. But the religious significance of the timing of her death so inauspicious and unfortunate in other ways, simply cannot be understated. In Judaism, you may have heard, when someone dies, they say, may his or her or their memory be a blessing. This is more than just saying, I fondly remember this person. What it really means is that we should take all the goodness in this person, whoever it was, and strive to be that. Strive to be that good. Strive to be good like Ruth. On behalf of Kate and myself and so many others, I say now, may her memory be a blessing. Or, even more apt, as I've seen trending online, may her memory be a revolution. Thank you all. Please enjoy the episode. Hey, Kate. Yeah? Do we give legal advice on this podcast? Oh, gosh, no. Hostile work environment. Exactly. Inappropriate workplace topic. Hostile work environment. I'm the human resources director. Little Miss Hostile Work Environment. Hello. Welcome to the most hostile work environment (laughs) podcast that exists. My name is Mark Alifans. I'm here with Kate Bischoff. We are back for more employment shenanigans. Kate. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay, all things considered. I mean, the weather is really nice. It's getting to my perfect level of 60 degrees and sunny. So that's good. I don't have any fires where I am. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. So how are you doing? Oh, well, you know, we're... We've just suffered through 10 days of the craziest weather I've probably ever lived through with first starting with extremely high winds that knocked power out all over the Portland metro. Then, as I'm sure you've heard in the news, right, just 
the wildfires that were sparked by that windstorm because it was east winds bringing in the dry air from the desert on the other side of the mountains uh, sparked a whole bunch of fires and the winds knocked down power lines that started fires. No, Antifa wasn't starting the fires. <laughs> I shouldn't have to say that, but yet here I am. Uh, and uh, significant portions of the state have burned. And I actually have a one good friend whose house burned down. Uh, oh. And it just sucks. And the whole town is gone. A beautiful little town on the Mackenzie River. It's just gone. Uh, oh. And it's just been devastating. And then, you know, the, the air just stuck. And so... Uh, we've had a temperature inversion, which we here in the West, you know, have to deal with quite a bit with mountains. Um, and the air just stalls. And this air happened to be the most hazardous, smoke-filled, you know, little bits of ash always coming down kind of kind of air. Uh, and it's been that way for nine days. Yeah. And we haven't been able to really go outside. The air quality's been, you know, already we're stuck at home. But then we can't even, like, sit out on the porch. Uh, and our, you know, we've had all the windows locked down in the house for a week now and it's, it's been rough. But then last night in another bizarre circumstance, <laughs> we got a gigantic thunderstorm that came through, which this area doesn't get thunderstorms almost ever. Like I think Aww. I can maybe four or five in the almost 15 years I'm here. So like, it's not like Midwest and East coast where like big lines of storms. We don't get that here. So, but this morning, 4am woken out of a sound sleep humongous thunderstorm bringing heavy rains and like i jumped up and did like a little dance so um in hopes that would clear your air well in the assumption it would yes yeah uh, and it has it's not fully back to normal yet but uh the sun is actually breaking through you can see clouds because we, we couldn't even nice. see up to the clouds because it was just that much dense fog for the last 10 days so anyway i've rambled on too long about it already but we're <laughs> It's better, and now we're getting ready. It's Friday as we record this, and it's Rosh Hashanah tonight starts, and it's the so the Jewish New Year, and we are preparing. Uh, really, we'll do our big meal tomorrow night on Saturday night, but we're getting ready for that and just trying to wrap Shana up the work. Oh, thank you. It's. Uh, I'm hoping that maybe, you know, we can start our New Year early though i don't have big hopes um given the election coming in 45 days or so so um yes. we have as seems to be the theme here lately and and it's a good theme <laughs> companies doing bad things i mean it's always been the theme but really like like recent news events of companies doing bad yes. employment things so yes. we're going to start off and I think you have something to talk to us about that I actually tagged you on Twitter uh, mm -hmm. saying there's no chance that we weren't going to talk about this in our next episode. And you're going to tell us about the happiest place on earth. Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, and I say that because I should let everyone know that I have a 34-year grudge in my life against this particular company. And it is a deep-seated grudge. Like, I don't let my kids do anything related to this company unless it's one of their divisions. So I, it, it's a deep-seated hatred. So I'm happy to share the story, but let's talk about Disney. I should, okay? you know, I should have, my wife does the best Mickey Mouse impression. <laughs> I should have her come on and, and just, just to see her face. Oh, she's amazing. Uh, 
Okay. So Disney has, you know, the two different locations, Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California. And don't forget Euro, Euro Disney and Disney Japan. Okay. Well, the two that are most important here, the American ones. We're we're American and we we only care about (laughs) Americans on this podcast. Oh, that's so not true. (laughs) I know. That's why it's funny. (laughs) So Disney is having some issues with labor, their people, because they have not been necessarily as forthcoming with COVID related items like their unions would like. So for mm. example, within the within the Disney world right now, there is the NBA bubble where the NBA is playing and you stay in the bubble, everybody's tested in the bubble, nobody can leave the bubble. That's not the part of Disney I'm talking about. I'm talking about downtown Disney where that's where all the employees are. Main Street USA. Yeah, and that's where the tourists are. So Unlike the bubble, the downtown Disney has no COVID testing. In a letter. Great. Yeah. In a letter to unions in June, the labor relations director, Bill, said testing was not viable and it was prone to false negatives. But. (laughs) That was June. uh, Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. I I have feelings. Okay. What are those feelings? They're negative. They're negative. (laughs) They're not false negatives. They're real negatives. They're they're not consistent with the happiest place on earth. Just okay. Going to say, and I say that as a Disney lover. Okay, unlike me, I'm totally right. I mean, you're you're the outlier on this particular one. I I think you know that. You know, not without reason. Not without reason. But you are the outlier. But I'm the outlier everywhere because everyone loves disney i that's what i'm saying yeah hates it right Right. so they haven't so if a cast member which is what they call employees if a cast member tests positive you know normally what our advice to a regular employer would be is that we need to notify their team that there's been a positive test and that we want folks to quarantine well disney has been waiting several days before giving anybody any information, which has led to a lot of cast members feeling like they're, they've been exposed. They don't, they don't, people don't care about them. What about their families? Because if I am exposed to someone with positive, I might be going home to a family member who might be very sick. So they're very concerned about that. Um, And this is happening in Disneyland and in Disney world. So it's kind of across the thing. And What's really interesting is that I've been watching a lot of news programming lately because I'm one, a junkie, and two, I seem to hate myself. And there are a lot of ads for Disney to like go there as a tourist. And so oh, really? it's very, yeah. It's, so it's like reading this information that there's employees who are super concerned that there's not been any kind of contract tracing, there hasn't been any kind of notice. Then watching these ads of we should all go to Disney World, I'm like, so scary to me yeah so, you, you couldn't pay me enough to go to i mean to go anywhere really right now but let alone <laughs> an amusement park i mean come on right i desperately want to get on a flying tin can but i'm not going to do it so yeah um and 
in California, cast members have been writing to various government groups like the city of Anaheim and California Governor Gavin Newsom saying that unknowingly a whole bunch of our co-workers have been exposed to COVID-19 and the union has urged them not to return, but some people might test positive and still might be working and that the company has cleared them return to work without any kind of protocols in place. So there's a huge concerns amongst the employees that there's positive cases amongst them that are posing risk to them and their families. It's so short-sighted. I, I mean, I mean, like in, in it, like you can well, if we test, then we'll find out more, and then you know we'll have people who have to be out of work, and then we can't we can't do the things we need to do. But if yeah, people remember, are, you really want to kill your whole cast? Well, either. So, <laughs> so I have two Disney stories, and maybe I should share both of them. My second one, second chronologically, is that when I was in college, my roommate desperately wanted to be a cast member, and like. There are people who desperately want to work for Disney because they see it as a chance to have a career, whether they are being Sleeping Beauty or Goofy, you know, they have this opportunity and then maybe that leads them to other jobs in entertainment. And so maybe Disney is looking at this for their cast member roles as, you know, there's plenty of labor to be around. And so, you know, while that seems to be a very evil take, right? Like we don't care. These people are, are interchangeable to us. There is some real concerns about how they treat their staff. And there's always been concerns about how Disney treats its staff, Absolutely. staff members at the various locations, but this is one. So, and the cast members are saying that they hear about cases via word of mouth by texting each other. I mean, that's just not great transparent communication that we would recommend. So Agreed. What a mess. Yeah. Do you want to hear the original grudge story? I've heard it, it's but our, I don't think our listeners have. <laughs> so I, 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 th I think our listeners need the context before you start getting hate mail like I do about not being a pet person. <laughs> oh, you get hate mail about that? Oh, I mean, funny. one or two. Oh. But uh, I, I so... love our bunny. I'm just going to say, people, I love our bunny. He's a good bunny. I pet him every day. You're laughing. That's that wasn't so a euphemism. Much, it's not a euphemism. So much information. So much data. I like okay. the bunny. Okay, good. Uh, so <laughs> when I was in second grade, my brother came home from school. We both came home from school, but he had left for, to go to a doctor's appointment because he had the chicken pox. And so this was two weeks before our Florida vacation, in which we were going to Disney World. And I was so excited about Disney World because I could cite every line and sing every line to Sleeping Beauty and Snow White because I loved them, right? Sure. And when I figured out that it meant that I was going to have chicken pox for Disney World and that we might not be able to go, I was devastated. I remember distinctly sitting on the steps and crying because I was so mad about that. My family was very kind and kind of switched up the order of the trip so that I could go to Disney World. And so we went to Daytona where my grandparents had a house and for the winter because they were snowbirds. Um, we went there first and I swam in the Atlantic with all of my little red dots and they all were scabbed over. And I show up to Disney World and I'm wearing a baby blue Mickey t-shirt, like the vintage 80s ones, right? Sure. Half my belly's hanging out because I've grown since we originally bought it. <laughs> and I'm wearing the red shorts with the white piping. No, so 1980, right? With 
pigtails. Sure. So I look adorable as an eight-year-old, okay? Super adorable. Mickey took one look at my scabs and said, I'm not going to hug her. And that crushed me. And so ever since then, I've had this deep-seated hatred for Disney. I do everything Marvel. I do everything Star Wars. Uh, and lots of Pixar pre-purchased by Disney. But again, I never watched any ABC, which is owned by Disney. Mm. I No ESPN? Kids, no. <laughs> like you watch sports anyway. <laughs> like I could care less. Um, but I do, like my kids wear pampers, not huggies. They have never been to <laughs> the Disney World. We watched, like, before Sesame Street was a Disney thing. We watched all the Disney thing. No little Einsteins, none of that stuff, because it was all Disney affiliated. So deep-seated hatred over here. If only they could have treated COVID as seriously (laughs) as they treated your chicken pox. Yeah. Maybe we wouldn't be having this segment for everybody to find out how (laughs) Disney disappointed you. Yes, how Disney disappointed me. Yes, I'm... (laughs) You know, I'm curious about what management would say. And I'm really flummoxed by the labor relations director's letter saying, you know, tests aren't reliable in June. Like, I don't know. I think that's all really scary, specifically because they are hosting the MPA. So it is possible for them to do this. Right. Just choosing not to for their staff. So that's Disney. Okay. We're going to transition here. (laughs) Kate, how do you feel about hypocrisy? I loathe it. Almost as much as I hate Disney. (laughs) So I'm curious if you've ever heard of a company called No Evil Foods. Nope. I mean, on its face, (laughs) it sounds pretty good, right? Yeah. No evil. Like, I mean, Google originally, right, their original tagline was, you know, like, don't be evil, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think they've probably proven that wrong in a million ways, you know, <laughs> since then. But, yes. you know, anyway, all right. So this is coming from a, a Motherboard Vice article that I, uh, that our good friend of the podcast, Aaron Weiss, sent me this morning saying this would be okay. a great segment. And I was like, oh, my God, this would be perfect. And we're recording in an hour. So... <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. Save my ass. All right. So, No Evil Foods sells socialist-branded vegan meat products at 5,500 grocery stores nationwide. So, that is a real specific segment of the market, right? Yes. Yes. Bernie Bros, all into that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, but we're going we're gonna to talk about that. So, and, and, you know, so 5,500 grocery stores nationwide, including Whole Foods, um, they rely on venture capitalist funding, which I don't know okay. if that really fits with the socialist theme, but, you know, and they sell $8 packages of plant, plant-based meat products with leftist names like Comrade Cluck, Amok <laughs> Chicken, and okay. El Zapatista, a chorizo substitute referencing Mexico's anti-capitalist guerrilla movement. <laughs> okay. In job list- listings uh, for their production workers, the company says, we do good, not evil. We care about doing good through the products we make. 
Okay. Kate, how do you think they feel about union organizers? Oh, I bet they hate them. <laughs> Earlier this year, they fired two production workers at their Weaverville, North Carolina production plant who led a union drive at the company and circulated a petition asking for a hazard pay during COVID-19. The workers say the company told them that they were being terminated for violating social distancing and dress code policies. Have we heard this story before? Uh, yes. Our right? other good friend, Amazon. Amazon, yes. right? So uh, this past Wednesday, the NLRB issued a federal complaint against no evil foods. <laughs> alleging that the company violated the National Labor Relations Act by interfering with restraining and coercing employees in the exercise of the rights guaranteed under the act. According to the complaint, on April 1st, 2020, a No Evil Foods HR manager interrogated employees about their union organizing and the petition for hazard pay, creating the impression management was surveilling employees, which probably evil but also probably in line with certain left wing you know authoritarian governments so uh -huh. i mean in that sense it's kind of in line um <laughs> and told them that they knew who had circulated the petition in the parking lot outside the production plant in june a spokesperson for no evil foods i'm gonna say no evil foods as many times as i can <laughs> said said no evil foods absolutely did not terminate any employees in response to union-related or other protected activities. This firing of these two union organizers fits with an ongoing trend of progressive or ostensibly progressive companies like Kickstarter and Whole Foods taking anti-union stances uh, when employees mm -hmm. seek to improve their working conditions, which, you know, socialist theme. I mean, they're pretty socialists, pretty in the unions. Mm-hmm. They're not putting their money where their mouth is. Uh, so John Reynolds, one of the uh, no evil food productions workers who got fired, said, I moved to North Carolina to take that job. In the future, it will be hard for me to look at, uh, the same way at a company that advertises itself as progressive. Uh, okay, so I have a couple thoughts on this. Yeah. Um. First, Whole Foods is definitely not going to pull no evil foods off their shelves because no. Whole Foods is totally in line with this. Right. And Amazon I, is totally in line with this, yes. right? Like they're going to be a-okay with no evil foods uh, trying to remain union-free. Uh, two, like Disney, so this transition wasn't necessarily so hard. I am not a fan of unions, even though I bleed blue at this point in time um, because I grew up in an family that had its own business and that was unionized but not AFL-CIO affiliated and so the union in our industry hated us um, and treated us horribly even when I was a kid so you know there's that so I have this animus so I get that you can be both progressive and not like unions it's totally possible absolutely uh, I think we would both but, put ourselves in that category <laughs> right but you know there's a difference between being okay with a company wanting to stay union free, free and firing employees who are engaging in protected rights under the act, which in and of itself, a, it's a law and we're lawyers. So it's right. a thing, but also isn't an entirely bad thing either. So, and, and allowing employees to engage in those rights is something I support and would never advocate firing them for doing that. That's bad. 
That's evil. That, it's not no evil. Right. That's bad. And it's particularly bad because you're supposed to allow employees to collectively work to betterment. And right. if you're saying you guys can't come together for betterment, then that is against the law. Right. However, they could have taken the tact of, yes, let me hear your concerns and let's see what we can do about it right. before a third party gets involved in our business. So, so it, an interesting note on that front, because there's more to the story. Ooh. So in June, there was published video footage, and, and the article presents this as, as uh, a pure negative, I think. And I think there's probably some nuance to it, uh, okay. though there's some things that the company does here in, in uh, advocating against the union that maybe go a little too far here. But uh, there's footage from a January meeting of the company's founders imploring workers to vote no in the union election. Okay. Okay, yeah. Comparing union dues to a shitty gym membership. <laughs> okay. You can definitely talk about union dues. Shitty gym membership, not sure that's the right comparison, but okay. Right. Quote, I sincerely believe that right now a union would be a terrible thing for you and no evil foods, founder Mike Woliansky told workers at the mandatory meeting in January. A union contract would only serve to lessen our impact at a time when it's so important to the world. Okay. Following the series of compulsory anti-union meetings led by management, workers voted against the United Food and Commercial Workers Union in a landslide 43 to 15 vote in February. Wow. So the meetings were, were um, you know, they, they, they were helpful. I mean, for the company mm -hmm. to... But if they fired people in the midst of that, I mean, because of that, that's still a violation, right? So mm -hmm. um, one last kind of postscript to the story is in August, uh, someone claiming to represent No Evil Foods was going across the internet trying to scrub all evidence of those meetings uh, and get those videos uh... deleted. Uh, the trial has been set for December. Uh, so anyway... Uh, yeah, tampering with evidence is not something I would say, yay! No, no, not good. And, um, you know, there's there are established rules for union organizing campaigns that the union has to follow and that the employer has to follow in providing information in terms of how and who and when and why. And, mm -hmm. you know, in and of itself, it's perfectly appropriate for a company and, and totally cool for them to say, here's why you shouldn't want the union and here's what we're going to do to help so that you shouldn't feel like you need one and send your dues to a union when we could, you, you know, we can still improve your working conditions. Let's talk. Right. That's mm -hmm. the way it should happen. Right. Uh, comparing it to a shitty gym membership, maybe less so. Um, but fair comparison, I think, but maybe not in a campaign mix. Probably. <laughs> so. I mean, I think it's probably not a wise way to try to persuade people. But. Right. But, you know, as I think about that analogy, like you're not if you don't use it, you don't even get any benefit. And right. oftentimes the union doesn't provide you a whole lot of benefit, benefit while it's there unless you're facing discipline or, right. you know, you need to renegotiate wages. So you're paying for something that you're not really getting. So I get, I get the analogy, right. but. I, I maybe wouldn't use those terms, but, you know, as I said, the article presents that as a full negative in terms of how the company handled the campaign. I don't think I agree with that, but to the extent that there's evidence, and I believe there is based on how this was presented, that, that they were intimidating employees, uh, talking to them about we know who brought the the 
you know, the, the union claims and, you know, or the organizing and, you know, uh, that's off, that's off limits and firing the employees who started the drive. Um, you might have legitimate reasons to fire those individuals. I wouldn't do it unless the evidence supporting those alternative reasons are overwhelming to the extent so that it, you can't really call it into question. And here right. it clearly seems that's not the case. Well, and the, the likely remedy, if proven, so I want to say if all of this stuff is proven, is that they get themselves another union election. Right. And that is always a risk. So. Right. So. We manage some campaigns and we don't always win. So. Yeah. No evil food. <laughs> I want to know right. if they have like Bolshevik bratwurst or something like that. I well, I'm sure, you know, I'm going to go to their website while we're talking here and... and... <laughs> Let's see, noevilfoods.com, it, what do you think? I don't know. Yeah, does it include the the cabbage or the sauerkraut <laughs> in the bratwurst itself? I mean, I, I'd be down for that, but we'll see. Let's see, it's going protein for all. Protein for all, good. Um, they've got Comrade Cluck, <laughs> El Capitan, uh, which is the chorizo. They have the stallion, which is faux Italian sausage, and the pit boss. <laughs> The pit boss, which is pulled pork barbecue, um, yeah. So um, anyway, always down for some pulled pork. That, but okay, that seems to be the four primary products, and and they have a they have a slogan, a motto called "In Plants We Trust" and "Protein for All." In plants we trust, we need better HR. Yeah, <laughs> feeding the resistance. Oh, I'm not sure the entire resistance agrees with you guys, but okay. Well, I mean, the the anti-union resistance. Yeah. Yes. Okay, I've got one more story for you. You ready? Great. Let's do it. So this one is another one that's close to home, close to my heart, because I have met one of the characters in person because I was working on a case and she was reporting on it. Um, and so here in Minnesota... We don't just have National Public Radio. We have Minnesota Public Radio. And we refer to it as NPR, not NPR, but everybody listens to MPR. Mm-hmm. And we have, there's a bunch of different channels. There's The Current, which is alternative. Then there is uh, NPR Classic, which is the classical music uh, sure. and the opera and all that kind of stuff. And then there's NPR News, which has a a pretty large reporter base, but it is one of the more trusted organizations for news. And so it's all on the radio. I'm sure there's a couple other channels in there that I don't remember, but those are the three that are the most important. And about 10 week, days ago to uh, two weeks ago, NPR Classical fired its black DJ for his inappropriate, they deemed it like inappropriate programming, that he wasn't going through the right channels to select the music that he was playing. Because there are, there are um, royalty considerations that need to be put into play. He has some control over what he does, but he didn't have full control over all of what he did. And he admits that he did things that were sometimes out of protocol. But he also um, was very... His name was Grant McQueen. Grant was also very proactive in the Black Lives Matter movement. And so he would wear Black Lives Matter shirts to work. He would talk about it. And he has his own show, which I'm going to butcher the name. I think it's Tewilkey, something like that. 
um, where he would interview black composers and musicians about their music. And so that was his programming. And then it appeared originally that his termination might have been related to that, but they, but NPR got a lot of flack for letting him go. Okay. Okay. Fast forward just a few days, Marianne Combs, who's a reporter for NPR News, uh, tendered her resignation. And in her resignation, she uh, talked about how she had been working on a story about an abusive DJ. And I mean abusive in that it's kind of emotional abuse. She had gone through, she had found that he had worked at this camp and there were complaints about him that he had worked at another place and there had been complaints about them and there were multiple complaints at NPR about his behavior. And during her reporting, she submitted things to her editor and her editor said, well, this isn't quite right. Go back and find more. And she went back and found more. And then she submitted again. It had gone through legal and they still weren't going to run the story. Does this sound familiar to you? I'm trying to think to a specific... Yes. Um, yes. Hold on. Hold the phone. Okay. All right. All right. Does it sound familiar to you? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Kate's holding up the Ronan Farrow <laughs> book. Sorry. Yeah. I, I don't have a great knowledge or deep knowledge about that, but now that you say it, it didn't I come to highly, mind at first. Yeah. Yeah. I highly recommend the book and the podcast. They're both fascinating. Um, but in Mr. Farrow's reporting he had done some of the same stuff he had found all of this evidence right. against harvey weinstein he had gone to his editors at nbc they're like you need more you need more and there seemed to be this effort to suppress the story and so when marianne combs brings her story it sounds eerily familiar around the yep. same stuff that happened with him and she because they're choosing not to run the story they then she she comes to the conclusion that she has to quit so she quits, she tweets out her resignation letter, she posts on Facebook, and then the fan gets hit with doo-doo all over, right? Because now we have a, a beloved reporter, and I, I think Marianne is the best, but she's like separate apart from my relationship with her, but she's also an amazing reporter. Um, people thought she was great. I think her tweet took off significantly it made all of our local papers made the national paper like so because it in part was so similar to what ronan farrow had talked about right and in response the president of npr um mr drews i believe is his name he issues a statement saying that the things that she was reporting on weren't illegal and that was the crux of why they didn't weren't necessarily running the story in addition to it not being, you know, up to their reporting standard. But they had fired Wait. him by the, at this point before she. No, they fire him a couple of days later. Okay. I thought you said earlier that it was a few days before. Okay. I see. So, no, oh, no, so, no, no. Yeah. So there's, I, there's, Cause there's I thought he got people. fired afterwards from what we had talked. Okay. So just the way, way mm -hmm. we just, I, I was now it's clear. I'm trying to set, I'm trying to set up in, in, He's order. fired a few days after this happens. So yes, yeah, so she res she resigns, and then the DJ who was accused of the bad stuff, not right here at McQueen. But oh, a sorry. Okay, DJ. I th I didn't realize it was a. Oh, okay. I thought not it was the, the same, same person. Okay. Mm -mm, not the same guy. 
Okay. And I'll, it'll become crystal clear as to why I mentioned Garrett McQueen earlier. Okay. Because cool. Because I had some background but, on the story, but I don't think I had all of it. Yeah. So, so she sends her resignation. There's this huge outcry of, oh my right. gosh, we're missing Marianne. And then NPR terminates the current DJ. Right. Okay. Who all of a sudden it became clear to them that the public wouldn't trust him anymore as a DJ. So that's why they fire him. So you've got these three high-profile separations with Garrett McQueen, Marianne Combs, and this dude, which I'm not even going to dignify with his name. Um, but the, the backlash to NPR. So if you look up NPR and you look at all of their mentions, you'll see tons of people saying they're canceling their sustaining membership, that they're not going to be involved in a fall member drive, that they're not going to you know, spend their money on NPR, which is a hallmark of Minnesota. Like it is right. I mean, Garrison Keillor. Most... <laughs> I mean, well, come on. That's an entirely different story. Right? Right? <laughs> Garrison Keillor has his own little... Oh, me too. Me too issues, right? issues, yeah. And I, I'm like, I'm one of those people who's like, I, I couldn't stand that show. I couldn't, I couldn't even, I couldn't, I found it unlistenable the one or two times I tuned in that npr and it was on so maybe that makes me persona non grata in in minnesota maybe it makes me popular now that he's had his me too moment i don't know uh i don't think that makes me persona <laughs> non grata there's there were some parts of the show like the lutheran mother like when she would tell her stories and that have all the guilt trips about why you need to buy better hamburger buns and stuff like that that was like true minnesota passive aggressiveness okay. so right. it, like that is ingrained in our culture it's just he was highlighting it but there's you know, there had been trails named after Lake Wobegon. There had like, right. there has been a lot of kind of uh, grappling with Garrison Keillor on it in and of itself. So the reason I mentioned Garrett earlier is because Marianne got such a great response, and I mean great, like so supportive of right. her. Um, and she said, you know, the president of NPR doesn't deserve the vitriol that he's getting. Yes, the statement wasn't great. But he's only been there since May. The problems with NPR existed well before him and that this is a culture issue. It's not just him. And that you should take your positive energy and send it to Garrett McQueen because he was doing great things with his show. So Marianne has been incredibly graceful in how she has handled this. But, you know, no one, she shouldn't have had to resign in the first place because her reporting showed abuse. Now, the fact that it wasn't illegal is something I want to talk about. Because there, what is legal is there's, we tolerate so much bad stuff before it gets to be illegal. And the idea that something isn't illegal doesn't mean that it's great. It doesn't well, mean that it's That's not the abusive. standard. Right. I mean, I mean it the shouldn't standard. be the standard in HR and employment law, right, for at your company, you know, do you fire somebody for something they did, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it can be a line and it's certainly always a line but i'd say there's lines that come before it always almost always Absolutely. and and you know i think there's an interesting element here that it's not an internal investigation being done by hr or a lawyer it's being done by a reporter who also wants to report on the story so so that adds an interesting element to the decision making and the pub, uh, publicity around it but in the end the question around what to do about it the answer mm -hmm it's not illegal. So we're cool. That's not an answer. That's, no. I mean, that, that's not good. No, no. 
And, you know, they, there's an argument to be made that by saying, well, what he was doing wasn't illegal, that's just giving him cred, saying that it's okay that what he's doing, even though we it's don't permission. like it, it's permission, right? And so that idea that he wasn't doing something illegal, I think, like, whoever helped write the pres helped the president write that statement did them a disservice because now that just says, well, we're going to tolerate anything that's short of illegal. And that just helps all of us who might have been people who got the tote bag, right? Right. That, just, well, if you're going to tolerate stuff that's not illegal, the line is legality, then that's wrong. So, what I, a mess. It, it is a total mess. And it's and disappointing I, coming from like a beloved institution like that. Right. So we'll see what happens. I, I don't, I hope Marianne finds a really good home. I hope Garrett finds a really good home and that he gets a bunch of support so that he can continue his podcast and things like that. I just, it, it's heartbreaking that we have to go through this. But I hope it is a lesson to employers that when the fire is in your house, you don't just let it sit there. You have to deal with it. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Um. On that note, <laughs> I I don't have a story for us today because I I am a loser uh, and didn't, loser. didn't get didn't get my acting gear. I'm super busy right now, so uh, we you're, do have a. You're trying to you're trying to stay alive through right. wildfires, horrible air, a pandemic, racial and, and social unrest. Oh, Antifa is no, in my backyard season. trying to burn my house down too, right? I mean, those Antifa <laughs> yes, but, people, but, super organized and, Antifa. Right, I was going to say, you know, FBI Director Ray said it wasn't an organized group, so I'm, I'm sure they're just running roughshod all over, just it's, wondering oh, if they can organize. It's just chaos, chaos. <laughs> so, and election season, so we'll give you a break for all right, that's fair. through all That's fair. I do have maybe one or two good stories to read, so we want more. Mm -hmm. So our, our, we're imploring you to send us more at hwepodcast at gmail.com. If you wanted to sponsor us, send us an email at hw. We, we have a few costs associated, not much, but it would be nice to cover costs. Uh, you know, I don't think we're in this for, for riches and fame, but you know, if, if, and we're not doing Patreon this time around. So you know, but if there's any anyone out there whose company has an interest, let us know. HWEpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I can be found on the Twitter at Salad Pants. Uh, I can be found on LinkedIn, you know, the normal <laughs> places, Facebook, uh, Live Journal, you know. There's been a Live Journal? Um, what the I've, heck is that? You don't, you don't remember Live Journal? It was kind of pre-Facebook. It was where everybody kind of was putting their, it was, it was a, like Friendster and Live Journal were the kind of the free pre Facebook social media. You know, you kind of kept a journal, but you also connected with your friends. All my friends were on it before before Facebook Dude, became a thing. I think we're the same age and that makes me sound so old. Well anyone for me. I don't know. But Okay. I mean there were social networks on? before Facebook. I mean were, it, you know were you on MySpace? I was on MySpace, absolutely. I didn't like MySpace though because you, you didn't there was no place to verify who people were. Like I like the names were just kind of like whatever it's kinda of like kinda of like on Twitter where if you don't want to be identified, mm -hmm. right? But then it's like people would be like added me as a friend on MySpace because because I was the loser, it was just like Mark. And then but I was like C. 
Right. But, and they'd figure out who I was, but I'd be like, I, I don't know who you are. Oh, it's like so-and-so <laughs> from college. But why is your name like, I don't know. Rutabaga score. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So anyway, yeah. Uh, okay. Social media goes way back. Yeah. Anyway, that was just a joke that turned into a <laughs> too long sidebar. Uh, okay. Where can people find you on the socials, Kate? So I'm on Twitter at K8BISCH, KBish. Uh, that is also my Instagram handle. That is also how you find me on LinkedIn. That's also, well, that's part of some other things. Is that your TikTok me, name too? Oh, I'm not on TikTok. <laughs> I, I'm so sorry. And I'm so sad. You know, the ban is going into place after yeah. the election. It doesn't want to piss off anybody. Any, users. any potential. I mean, there's a, I'm, I am, I will admit, I do have a TikTok account. Uh, one of our listeners actually told me like it was a good place to try to promote the podcast, which I don't think ended up being a good fit. But then I found so many dancing videos. Uh, I do have an account. I tried to post a couple. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> She's dancing on the camera for those that you know, can't see. Her. Um, and uh, so anyway, there, but one of the things I discovered in kind of going through TikTok videos was there's a huge number of pro Trump. So it's like a sub pro-Trump TikTok and I kept being like thumbs down thumbs down and it kept showing it to me and I couldn't figure out how to stop it and then I haven't been on TikTok for months in part because of that but uh, uh she doesn't want to piss those people off too much right but you know WeChat gone shortly here yes Sunday I think Sunday yes so but yes you can find me everywhere you can also find me on my company website of thrivelawconsulting.com so I'm happy to connect with anybody Likewise, likewise. All right. And send us your stories to hwepodcast at gmail.com if you have any. We look forward to reading. Fantastic. We'll talk to you all in a couple of weeks. Bye, Kate. Bye.